I am paying attention. I just, I heard everything you said. Uh, MTV Music Awards, everybody sucking Christopher Nolan off, Batman Begins. Uh, I, I heard it all. Uh, I'm just, there is a cat attacking my ass, so I have to deal with that. I can't just ignore it. Anyway... Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, Cat Adoption Agency, located in downtown San Diego. Uh, half correct. <laughs> um, okay, so have I talked about the cat? On no, introduce me first. God damn it, uh, Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Uh, that is you. That is who you are. Yes, you've told me about the cat scenario in our uh, Marco Polo group, and I teased you because it sounded to me like you straight up kidnapped your neighbor's cat. Okay, so here's what happened. Uh, there was this seemingly stray cat wandering around our house for a couple weeks. Um, he would like hide under our cars. He seems really skittish. Um, very hungry. Eventually, we caught him, uh, and then we caught him. Yeah, we caught him. He, <laughs> uh, he was running around our yard, and eventually, we caught him. Um, we tried to find out if he had owners. We like posted pictures online. We looked at all the um, the online posts, like for next door and Facebook and stuff for missing animals. Um, and we took him to the Humane Society here in San Diego. Uh, the Humane Society scans him for a chip. He didn't have a chip. If you have a cat, get a fucking chip. Mm-hmm. Um, he didn't have a chip. He wasn't neutered or anything like that. And so they were like, uh, okay, we'll do this catch and release program. And we were like, okay, sure, whatever. And then... We were like, well, you know what? He's such a sweet cat. We might want to keep him. And so I tried to call the Humane Society. And man, the Humane Society was a whole other fucking thing. So they were like, come back on this day. I came back on that day. They were fucking closed. And then the next day they called me and they were like, hey, are you going to pick up this cat? And I was like, yes, (laughs) Uh, but you were closed. And they're like, that's fine. We'll just let him out on the street. And I was like, no, don't do that. What what are you talking about? (laughs) Letting him out on the street. Um, And so a part of that, they neuter him. uh, And then they also clipped off part of his ear. Um, Right. So a thing they do for like catch and release cats is they'll neuter them and then they clip their ears so that if you see a cat with a clipped ear has already been treated by the, you know, um, so you don't have to bring him in or whatever. I didn't know they were going to chop half his fucking ear off. Um, or I yeah, wouldn't have done this. It does not seem humane to me. You know? I don't, I don't. Well, you're burying the lead. So whose cat so, yeah. did it end up being? I'm I'm just trying to, Lay out the whole story. Mm-hmm. I did my due diligence. We tried to find a home for him. Whose cat was it? Uh, so then uh, he's just in our house hanging out in the window. And our neighbor is like <laughs> knocking on our gate. 
because uh, we keep our gates locked at night. Uh-huh. And <laughs> my roommate is like, hey, there's a crazy woman knocking on our <laughs> gate. And then she comes back and she's like banging on our gate. And I like poke my head out the door and I'm like, can I help you? <laughs> and she's like, yeah, that's my cat. Your you know, my- next door neighbor. Yes, my next door neighbor. And she's like, "That's I think that's my cat in the window. <laughs> and so I'm like, what? Okay. I, you know, I'm like, oh, shit. You know, we tried to find the cat's owner. Um, tried really hard. Yeah, we tried really hard. I <laughs> I don't know about you, but I didn't really want to go knocking on doors in the middle of a pandemic with what seemed like a stray cat. <laughs> we had it checked for microchips. We had it. Like, we did everything we're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So we give the cat back to the neighbor. She's like, yeah, we've had him since he was a kitten. Um, (laughs) He's our cat. Anyway, and so we thought that was that. Then, like, two days ago, I'm putting the Christmas decorations away, and my neighbor comes up to me, and she's like, by the way, do you still want that cat? (laughs) And I'm like, what? After all of that, what? What? And apparently the neighbors, because they just rent, uh, the owner came by, saw they had a cat and was like, nah, there's a no pets policy. And they were like, but the previous owners had dogs. And apparently this owner has some weird bias against cats and is like, thinks they carry diseases or whatever. So he's like, some do. Some people also think that they, their pee, like it's harder to get out of floors and stuff, which might be true. So, so, moral of the story is now you ha- have the cat and you don't want it. Well, so, so yes, we took in this cat. He is very sweet, but it's, you know, he's very young and very playful and energetic. And our other three cats are not super into that. Um, so, you know, we are trying to find uh, a more permanent home for him at this time. Okay. Well, if you're interested and you're in the Southern California area... Get a hold of Keith on Instagram or Twitter, whatever. Keith Foster Kid. Get in the DMs and uh, maybe you can arrange something. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, (laughs) Hit me up at Keith Foster Kid. All right. Well, uh, this episode, we are finally getting to the Christopher Nolan's new film, Tenet, which came out this summer. You saw it in theaters. You were too scared to see if your neighbor's we're missing a cat, but you were not too scared to go see a movie in the middle of a pandemic. Um, okay. A fucking movie theater <laughs> with seats spread out and taking precautions and like changing their air filters and cleaning yeah. the seats like every 15 minutes is very different than my neighbor who I don't know what the fuck they're doing. <laughs> so uh, we're, we're talking also, about Also, I that. had no idea. We are talking about Tenant. We're finally talking about Tenant. And uh, leading up to that, we are going to discuss the cinematic work of Christopher Nolan. We're going to try and touch a little bit on all of his films. I am going to try and manage this as best as possible. I don't want this to get too sprawling. We've done this with other directors before. I was really taken aback by how many films Christopher Nolan has made. Just off the top of your head, how many films do you think he's made? Uh, 10 or 12. You're close. Yeah, 11. I was thinking it was closer to 8. Um, no, no, I mean, but, but I also had looked at his IMDb recently to okay. kind of make sure that I hadn't missed anything. Fair enough. Uh, but, I mean, you know, he's also been an active yeah, blockbuster been... director for a solid 
20 years. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so we're going to we're going to do that and then if we have time, um we are going to uh also get to what our streaming homework was um that you assigned us uh back when we were still in the Christmas season, Bad Mom's Christmas. Um, yeah, we kind of dropped the ball. We didn't get this out before before Christmas. Christmas time. Yeah, I kind of um, misjudged that exactly, but that's okay. We'll we'll talk about it. If, it, if it comes down to it, we'll just review it with a noise or s- some sort of uh, monosyllabic expression. All right. So Christopher Nolan, English filmmaker. Um, he lives. A, he he is essentially raised in England. He has family in Chicago, I think. He has family in America. He lived Okay, are you some writing a fucking sixth grade report on Christopher Nolan? No, I'm just setting the stage here. <laughs> setting the stage. So he grows up a little bit in America. He mostly grows up in England. Him and his brother work a lot together. Uh, they wrote some shorts together in the late 90s. Uh, their first film, Following, comes out in 1998, and that is a film, uh, kind of like a student film almost, um, that they made over the course of a year, um, just filming what they could on the weekends. This is a lot like how Eraserhead came together, um, kind of how Clerks came together, uh, similar kind of low-budget, micro-budget filmmaking, where as they were making money, they would go and film a little bit more. But this was sort of his calling card. And although a lot of people didn't really see it until he became a bigger director later and his and that movie became a little bit more accessible outside of like the indie sphere. But what are your thoughts on following? Have you seen it in a while? It's been a hot minute since I've seen it's it. It's been a while. I I remember I didn't really love it. Um, mm-hmm. It feels it's it's fine. It's not a bad movie by any means, but it's kind of boring. Um, it's it's a little uh, man. I'm actually looking at it's only an hour long. I remember it being a little bit longer. It's than about that. an hour and ten. Yeah, it's like barely feature length. Uh, but it's it's very noir. It's yeah. very um, you would have no idea it was. Well, I don't know it. It's a mixture of both feeling like out of time, but also it does kind of feel very nineties. Like, yeah, I would say that. Like I said, it remind. I mean, Eraserhead was the seventies, but it kind of feels a little bit sort of like in that same sort of micro budget world as something like Pie, the first Aronofsky film, um, which is very similar in a lot of ways. Um, this isn't quite as mind bendy, but it does. Uh, it does kind of have a non-linear structure, which is something Nolan would come back to again and again and again in his body of work. Um, but it is basically like, you know, he also really likes protagonists who don't know what's going on and are figuring things mm-hmm. out as they go. And it, it does all of that stuff. I mean, I think it is marketedly his brand pretty early yeah. on. Like, he, he has his tropes from the get-go. Yeah, but I mean... and. I mean, something about uh, Christopher Nolan is no matter what you say about any of his, most of his work, most of it is shot really well. Um, Like, he always Mm -hmm. has a really good director of photography. And and this one, um, I don't think is necessarily exceptional as far as that goes. I think it's, you know, it's decent. It's functional. Um, Yeah, but it's not... uh, it's not really showy. I would say that way. it has more style than something like Clerks, which is really just point and shoot. Um, yeah. And, you know, 
Kevin Smith will be the first one to tell you he's never been like terribly great at visual storytelling. Um, I think this film does attempt that more. There's some use of like light and shadow and angles and stuff like that. He, he leans into the noir stuff. I agree. I don't think it's his anywhere near his best work. Um, but it I think just, it's, it a, just, it's a it's a totally feels, solid it, it, first entry. Yes, but it definitely feels like a first entry. Like yeah, I I think only like the most avid Nolan fans necessarily need to check this one out. Like it's it's right. fine. It's a totally functional, serviceable movie. It, it you know it's, it's not a decent bad. little thriller. Yeah, it's not bad by any means, but it's also like it doesn't. It doesn't really feel like a Christopher Nolan movie because he's so used to working with these sort of bigger budgets and stuff at this point. That yeah. His brand is so like you can see the roots are there. Yeah. But it's it's not uh still a fledgling director. Okay. Yeah. I think it's better than that. I do think that if you've seen all of his stuff up to this point and you watch it, you're going to notice what he's doing and you're going to notice those obsessions yeah, I mean, that totally. he's gone you're, back to time and time again. And I and do think that where it's low budget. From. It's indie. It's not like, it's not altogether super original, but I think that his roundabout like puzzle box storytelling and stuff like that. I, I um, just think there are two types separates of, it a little bit from just like your usual Sundance, whatever. My, my point is, I think there are kind of two types of Nolan fans. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's the diehards and then there's post-Inception fans. Oh, that's interesting. I would say there's, yeah, I would say there's, like, the Batman Inception fan and then there's, like, the the Memento fans. And we'll, we'll talk about that next. Uh, Memento comes out just a couple of years later, stars half the cast of The Matrix. Um, <laughs> it really does. <laughs> and, uh... It's, again, sort of a noir mystery thriller, plays around with chronology. Famously, this is a movie that, you know, goes backwards, starts at the end and goes to the beginning. And it also, um, Guy Pierce plays the lead in here. And uh, the conceit being that he has short-term memory loss. So as he's trying to figure out who killed his wife, he has to put these mementos or these notes on his body, tattoo tattooing them so that every day he can refresh himself on what clues he's already gone over. Um, yeah. And some stuff he messes up, some stuff he ha ends up having the same conversations with the same people, and maybe they play a bigger part in all of it than you thought. Um, did you ever see the movie, uh, this is a little bit of a tangent, but did you ever see the Dana Carvey spy noir comedy Clean Slate? <laughs> I thought you were going to say the Master of Disguise. No, 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 no. So there's this <laughs> movie Dana Carvey did. It, I think it was in the early 90s, maybe even late 80s. I have Clean not. Slate. And it has kind of a similar um, conceit as this. It's uh, it, It's not as short term of memory loss but it's like he every night it's more like 50 first dates where like every night he goes to sleep he can't remember the day before so it's kind of same thing of like he has to keep like these things to yeah. remind him and he's he, it's like a noir detective thing but it's played um, for laughs it, instead of for for thrills yeah i haven't seen it in a long ass time but i remember when i was like 10 i thought it was great uh <laughs> so i'm curious as to how it holds up um, um but 
But honestly, like when I saw Memento, I was just like, oh, this is a serious version of Clean Slate. And for a lot of people, this is uh, their entry point um, because this movie did get a lot of attention outside of the festival circuit. Specifically, I remember watching the MTV Movie Awards and they had a section or some special award they were giving like best new talent or someone to look out for or whatever. And this is the first I'd ever heard of Christopher Nolan. And they had this big, long montage that they put together of all these directors and actors just talking about like how great this movie was and how like, you know, watch out for this director. He has big things to come and like blah, blah, blah. And and I, that's when I first knew of this film, but I probably didn't watch it until I'd seen maybe Batman Begins or so. But it is one of my favorite Christopher Nolan films. I think it does all of the things that we like to see in his films, but does it on a much, much more kind of modest budget. It's not as like action set piece oriented as he's been in the last few years and the last few films. So to me, I mean, I think the following is fine, mm-hmm. but to I consider this his first like real movie. Uh, the following is very, it feels like you said, a student film kind of, it feels very like, you know, let's just fuck around with the camera and, and make something. And for that, it's pretty good. Um, but Memento feels like, like a real movie. It's like a real studio production. It has real stars in it. And I think the, the, the conceit of it is great. It's it's really interesting way to tell a story. Something I think Christopher Nolan kind of gets in his own way with is, uh, and we'll talk about this more as we go down his his career. I think he kind of gets in his own way with his premises and with his conceits. Uh, he, he very much likes high concept. He likes genre stories, but that are high concept and very sort of premise based and. I think this is I think this is one of his most successful versions of that because it is so stripped down and it it is uh it's an interesting premise but it's told in a simple way. Yeah, it's not overly complicated and I and I think it is still rooted in character which yes. you know we'll talk about th- these movies as we go along but sometimes that kind of gets lost in the premise um or sometimes um you know, just his obsession with form and chronology and this kind of stuff. Yeah, sometimes uh, his characters are, are like, just an afterthought or, like, right. placeholders. Or, that or are they're like, just kind of a cog in the machinery of the of the um, construction of his plots. Whereas yeah. this film, it still feels character-oriented. You want him to discover this murder. Um, and also, I mean, you know, Guy Pierce is really good in it. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss and Joe Pantaleone are great in the movie. And, and, uh, I'm not going to give away what it is, but it does have a pretty cool, like, kind of twist that it builds to. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it does it in a very natural way where, again, right. I think that's something that we see in his later work is, is it feels like some of his stuff builds towards twists that don't necessarily work all the way. Right. It was, I mean, it's, it's, it's centered around that, but it also, this, this was also a short film that him and his brother worked on together and then he expanded into a feature. Um, so I think there was a little bit of like structure, you know, the pillars of the story were there before they dove in and expanded it. 
Um, and it kind of shows like a little bit more rigorousness around storytelling. Um, but let's yeah. let's go ahead and move on. I was kind of surprised. I posted a thing by uh, the listeners over like their favorite Christopher Nolan movies, and nobody put this one. Um, I I I wonder if people know it's him because it it's a little before. I, yeah, and again, I think it's like. I think at this point, he's known for more kind of sci-fi-ish stuff, and, and he's known for these, like, big-budget blockbusters, whereas right. this is a pretty small, it's a much smaller, more personal noir. I could see someone, you know, thinking it more in line with, like, a David Fincher kind of. Sure, uh, yeah, it, it's a it's a more kind of adult thriller. Yeah. Um. So let's go ahead and move on to the next film in his catalog. The next film is Insomnia from 2002. That's right. And I actually rewatched this one before we talked about it because it had been so long that I literally didn't remember anything about it. Um, yeah. I, so I just watched this for the first time a few days ago. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I So here's the thing with before – I'll let you – dig in but uh this one is maybe the least this is as closest to like a for hire gig basically because this was a remake of a swedish thriller um that he didn't write so it has the least his his least amount of his fingerprints on it yeah i think it has like the least amount of his formal uh obsessions that we see in all of his other later work. It doesn't have the puzzle box stuff. Um, it's a noir kind of crime movie. Like you can see like the people who saw Memento said, sure, this guy can totally do this, you know, Silence of the Lambs clone. Yeah. So the um the fact that you say it's a for hire gig does make a lot of sense because it definitely yeah. feels content wise a little out of what he would normally do. But yeah, I think it still has some some of those elements. So it, it, what it, Insomnia, um, if you haven't seen it, um, is about these homicide detectives that go to Alaska. Yeah, um, to solve the uh, murder of this girl, and uh, one of the detectives, played by uh, Al Pacino, yeah, um, can't sleep because it's during the time of the year when um, the sun is always up. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's like working the case and, uh, you know, he's like, ah, we should go to the school and, and talk to the boyfriend. And they're like, <laughs> it's 10 o'clock at night. Right. So he, he's just right. like, really thrown off and, and it starts to mess with his head. And, um, so I do think there's some very Nolan-y elements that. that right. Inside of the psychological to. character stuff. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that, that again, it feels a little more in line with Memento. Like as a career trajectory, this feels like a logical step from the guy who does Memento, right? Um, but not necessarily a logical step to the guy who would eventually do Inception. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's and, like almost I a mean, fork in the road moment for him. He could have been the thriller guy and just yeah, kind of do these boilerplate like thrillers, or he hmm. could do what he did and carve his own path and and keep going the direction of this this more sort of uh formally interested work and there yeah and i'm glad he ultimately does that but um you know i also you know i 
Because it's kind of like he's Jackie Brown in a way. Like, even though I think Jackie Brown's probably held a higher regard overall, um, that was the same kind of situation, like Tarantino adapting a book rather than going from original material. It's kind of, in a way, it seems like a an older person's film rather than a younger person's film. I mean, yeah, but, you know, he also does go on to make three Batman movies, like, immediately after this, so... Right, I mean, this was this was very... Sm- In fact, I think we've seen directors since him kind of do this exact same kind of stepladder move on working their way up through the, through the studio system, and not maybe not always as successfully, because he's one of the few directors who's been able to be a Hollywood blockbuster guy and yeah, an auteur he, he, at the same time. He became a, a bankable name um, for right. like, you know, he'll have a unique vision, but he'll also get his fucking opening weekend gross, right? Right. Um, and Insomnia, I just want to talk about it as a movie a little bit more before we move on because sure. I feel like this one is seen by less people. For me, this is one of the weaker movies in his catalog. There are elements of the story that are really interesting, and then I think there are elements of the story that are really kind of generic, and like you said, like very Silence of the Lambsy, very David Finchery. Right. Um, uh, I think the most interesting thing about this movie is, in I don't know, maybe this is spoilery, so if you want to see a 20-year-old <laughs> movie... Um, you know, fair warning. I think the interesting thing about this movie, what really separates it for me, is, first of all, well, the main character is very kind of typically noir. He's very, um, he's a little unreliable. He might not necessarily be like a straight up, uh, air quotes, good guy. Right. But the thing that's interesting to me is they reveal the killer about halfway through the movie, and the killer is a character with, like, sort of a different arc than just the the basic, oh, we have to find this guy and catch him. Right, that's the hook of the film, really, is is this relationship between Al Pacino and Robin Williams. We can say, I, I'm pretty sure that's on all the posters. Um, yeah, it's, he's, yeah. And, and sort of the cat and mouse between, the psychological cat and mouse between them. And for me, that's when the movie takes off. The first hour of it is kind of like, very boilerplate, very generic thriller stuff. And then by the middle of the movie, when it's between them and, and you know, Robin Williams' character has dirt on on uh, the Al Pacino Al character, so it becomes this kind of intrigue thing. That's when the movie gets interesting. Now, I should say, I've never seen the Swedish one. I know Criterion put that out a long time ago. Um, that might be the superior version to watch, but I think as far as, like, you know, Sunday afternoon television uh, airport fiction thrillers go. This is a decent one. It's fine. Um, yeah. It's just not a, a terribly exceptional outside of that genre. Here's a... I don't know if hot take is the word, um, but I think this movie would have been better without Al Pacino. I think... <laughs> He's very think, Pacino in it. Yeah, and but I this think is what that, you were paying for back then. And No, I know. He and, likely and think, probably got the movie funded. Probably. And I think he makes it a little more uh, boilerplate. Like, he kind of plays it a little more that way. And it also, like, just some of the lines and dialogue and stuff feels like it was almost written for a younger actor. 
Yeah. Um, this is, he's coming right off of like, this is actually kind of a hot period, like between Heat and Any Given Sunday and this and uh, The Insider. He was like kind of like having yeah, a streak was, there for a while. And all, Donnie Brasco. This the, was before he, he became a parody of himself. Right. Uh, but yeah. this is the type of movie that helped cement the parody. For sure. Um, yeah. He's very, uh, it's not a subtle performance. And Unlike just, Robin Williams, who's who I think is it's one of his uh, career best for him. Yes, and and it is. Uh, no, I agree with you completely. It is. I just I think it has more sort of layers than uh, his turn in one hour photo. Mm-hmm. I think it's sort of more attention because it's a little more obvious. And it's a main um, character. Yeah. Well, and it's just like it, it's so the opposite of Hook. You know, it's so. <laughs> Uh, whereas this is, I think this role just has a little bit more layers to it. Yeah. Um, uh, because, you know, you can't tell the character's motivations. You can't tell, you know, like, I don't know. I just, I think he plays it really well. And, uh, it made me very sad. I miss Robin Williams. Yeah. He was great in this movie. If for that alone, this may, it makes the movie worth watching. Uh, I also think, uh, Hilary Swank's really good in this too. She's I good mean, in it, but she's kind of Kmart Clary Starling. Yeah, but I I think she serves it well. Yeah. Okay, anyway. let's go ahead and move on to Batman Begins. Now, we all know this could be a Batman podcast if we really wanted it to be. So <laughs> I'm going to try and keep us as short as possible on the Batman films because I think much has been said about all three of them. Um, when this movie came out, ton of hype. This was the first Batman film after the, the franchise completely fell apart in the late 90s with Joel Schumacher and all that. I mean, this is, on top of that, this is also kind of the first time we've seen a full reboot, you know, capital reboot with an R. Yeah. Really, uh, for this kind of, you know, superhero movie, like, really work. Um, Right. And this is also that first big wave of superhero films in the early 2000s, riding off the success of the the Spider-Man and X-Men movies. Yeah, so the, there was a lot of reasons why this was a hot movie, and this was probably a lot of people's introduction to Christopher Nolan. A lot of people outside of sort of the indie sphere or like the thriller movie sphere. Um, and he brings a little bit of that into this. There's kind of a like realistic quality to it. You can tell he's, and I, I, I like the movie for what it is, but I do have to qualify it that way. Because I think that he's, there's sort of an awkwardness to the movie in the way that like Christian Bale doesn't quite move very um, freely or gracefully in that clunky Batman outfit. That's kind of how the whole movie feels to me. Like Mm -hmm. you can tell he's trying to infuse it with like a different kind of pacing and editing. And sometimes that feels like 40 minute sequences that feels like a long trailer. Um, and the first half and the second half of the film are a little kind of bolted together. They almost feel like two different movies or two. And it just, it just feels the way that it feels. Now, there are some people for whom this is still their favorite of the three. And I think that's absolutely banana shit crazy, but I can kind of see why they feel that way because it, it is kind of, it's so ambitious, all the stuff with, um, you know, Ra's al Ghul and uh, Liam Neeson and all that shit. 
I think it was really cool, and it is such a new take on not only just Batman, but the superhero genre in general. Yeah, this was like the first, um, I mean, we get it a little bit with the X-Men movies, but this is the first, like, really, this set the trend for, like, what would it be like to have superheroes in the real world? Like, let's not make it a comic book movie, let's make it, uh more of a spy movie or more of a uh, uh, an action thriller where he just happens to be a Batman. Like, it, it was definitely, like, tone-wise, it's further from, like, you know, Tim Burton or Joel Schumacher and closer to, like, a Mission Impossible or right. uh, Born Identity or something like that. Like, it is... Yeah. And I think it kind of also set the tone for those type of movies, too. Like, it, it kind of helped... Um, I think push the needle as far as action thrillers go a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this, I agree with you. It is not the best. I don't think it's the best Batman movie. Uh, I don't think it's the best of Nolan's Batman movies. I don't think it's the best Batman movie period, but you can't deny that it is sort of a, a watershed moment for action for uh genre action. Like, yeah, it, it, crossed the Rubicon. Yeah, and it was also a big second wind in uh, Christian Bale's career uh, mm-hmm. and really reintroduced him to the world. You know, he was kind of a child actor and he did some like cult films and stuff like American Psycho that got some attention, but this really made him a star. Yes, yeah. And 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 also this kind of goes, this is another movie with sort of the twist ending kind of mm. thing, like you said, with Raja Ghul and stuff. Yeah, you can see him trying to infuse his style, for lack of a better word, in a Batman project. And this was co-written by David S. Goyer, who is very much kind of a junky genre guy. And I think that there is kind of an oil and vinegar situation between what Nolan wants to do and what Goyer wants to do. You can feel goyer scenes like yeah. if if you're familiar enough with david s goyer's work like you can really tell the stuff that came from him and you can tell the stuff that came from nolan and i think right i think that's the thing you're talking about where it's like some of it doesn't it doesn't flow like yeah nolan can and for as um, as serious and grounded and gritty and real as Everything in the first half of the film is trying to do. All of that gets thrown out the window by the last forty minutes, and it just kind of goes cuckoo bananas. It yes, but it's still a pretty cool fucking movie. Yeah, and I mean it's de- I, it's good. I and it 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 rebranded Batman and brought it back in a big way, and it also propelled Christopher Nolan's career. Like you know, yes, really kind of made name. him a name. Oh, another thing. Um, so. I, I'm kind of also just keeping track of like the twist endings here. Yeah. So Memento has a twist ending. Uh, Insomnia, I was expecting a twist ending. Like I think mm-hmm. it was kind of, and that I think was one of the things that disappointed me about it was it felt like it was setting up a twist ending, and I don't know if that's just the way Nolan's storytelling plays out. Um, and then uh, Batman Begins has a bit of a twist ending. So yeah. I, at this point, he's kind of becoming the action version of M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> like, you're kind of to expecting an these to an third extent. act turns. Um, yeah. And, you know, that's not something he, I don't think, is really able to shake till a little bit later. But um, Yeah, I mean, it was something he was 
I guess, felt he needed to do at a point in time, um, including his next film. And this, in some ways, I think this film, The Prestige, might be one of the most important films of his catalog. Not necessarily because it's his best, although I do like it a whole lot. And there were some people in that survey that that mentioned this movie. Um, it's, it's up there for me. Um, it I is think for me too. But I think, I think it's he, the reason that movie? I I I kind of put import on it is this is that moment where another fork in the road where he could have just been like the Batman guy. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, that was going to, you know, butter his biscuit for the better part of forever. You know, yeah. like he never really had to do anything else after that point. Like he could just like keep, you know, cranking out Batman movies or he could just fall into the studio system and like the way a lot of people do. Or he decided between Batman movies, I'm going to make this weird, this period this thriller. This movie is fucking insane. About uh- magicians Turn of the century <laughs> magicians. Um, with with a vendetta against each other. And it's this mind-bendy kind of thing. And it came out the same year as another turn of the century magician movie. Which, it was in that my year. opinion, yeah. is much inferior to this. I've still have never seen The Illusionist. It's not great. It's okay. I, I finally saw it, but this is... This is this the better is of the two. This is my Coca-Cola to The Illusionist's uh, Pepsi. R- I would say RC Cola. But, uh, <laughs> Tab. Um, <laughs> yeah. I love this movie to death. I think it is so bonkers and it's so. I love that kind of, for lack of a better word, sort of like Art Nouveau, early turn, turn of the century, kind of steampunky quality mm. to it. It's it's also like sort of alt history. Uh, yeah. The, the moment, so I was enjoying this movie, but the moment I loved with a capital L this movie uh-huh. was when it brings out fucking David Bowie as Nikolai Tesla. Yeah. And I'm like, and you're like, <laughs> yes, of course, this, it's, of course. It's a moment. And, and, yeah. and you know, it's weird is like in the last like two or three years, there have been a few movies with Nikola Tesla in it. And I'm like, why are you fucking trying? David Bowie nailed this <laughs> in his Five minute cameo in the Prestige yeah. is better. David uh, <laughs> is a better fucking Nikolai Tesla movie than any of y'all are gonna give me. Right. So get the fuck out of here. <laughs> and uh, he brings back Christian Bale in this, um, mm-hmm. and it's uh, opposite uh, Hugh Jackman. So we get you know two of the biggest comic book stars in the world to be in this Batman versus Wolverine. Batman versus Wolverine in the world of magic, um, and then you know. Uh, future superhero star in Charlotte Scarlett, Scarlett Johansson. I yeah, I think this is this is might be in my top 3. I I haven't like ranked them, but uh this is such like I said such an interesting place in his career, such oh, a this, weird m- lateral move. This is in my top 5 because I misunderstood what we were doing for this episode, so I did rank them. <laughs> uh, and this one came in at number 4 for me. That's fair. That's fair. Um, and again, it's 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 a it's ambitious in its own way, but it doesn't feel it doesn't feel like this is a giant IMAX thing. No, but it, but it definitely feels like this is the uh, uh, there's the joke about like you know some directors are like, well, you make one for them and you make one for you. Yeah, and this is definitely his like one for him for sure. Whereas Batman Begins was was for us, so yeah. Uh, you know, and this movie couldn't have gotten made without Batman Begins. This movie couldn't have gotten exactly. made without Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman attached. Like, 
You have two, you know, ex-superheroes at the height of their powers. You have uh, Christopher Nolan just coming off a couple really hot movies. Like, yeah. it's just definitely an of-the-time kind of movie that, that doesn't get made a lot nowadays. Right, yeah. And he's still super hungry and trying to prove himself in a way. And, you know, because for a lot of people, this is... This will be the first movie of his they've seen that um, isn't Batman. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it's it's this is kind of his way of saying like, go check out Memento. <laughs> yeah, you and know? it's also <laughs> like I think um, before he kind of starts feeling this need uh, in his career to kind of keep topping himself. Right. It it's low key enough that it's not just action sequence after action. Sequence. It's still rooted in character and yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's why the twist the twist works in this one mm-hmm. whereas in some of his later ones it feels a little more um forced. Wrote. Let's go ahead and move on to The Dark Knight, uh one of the highest grossing films of all time. Um I think everything he everything that felt clunky or awkward about Batman Begins, he he streamlines here. Uh Goyer's not involved and you can certainly feel it. Mm-hmm. Um uh, Wally Fisher, some of his best cinematography uh, to date. Um, this is a very big movie. This was shot for IMAX. This is the beginning of his obsession with IMAX. Um, but it, uh, I think it pulls together the best of like, yeah, the best of his thriller work and, and even like making references to stuff like Heat, uh, Michael Mann movies and things mm-hmm. like that and bringing in that element to it. It, it, it I mean, feels like he- a comic book film and it feels like a superhero film, but it also kind of, it also sort of elevates to the level of something like the departed or goodfellas or something like that like it's i mean here's the thing we could record a whole episode on, on how the dark Knight. fucking good this movie is i mean this yeah. is i will this say is my being... favorite nolan movie with a bullet hands down mm-hmm. i think this is him at his best i think this is batman at its best like i think just everything about this movie works yeah um, I will say, I mean, I saw this movie probably four or five times in the theater because I was just like, you know, exact right age, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, and I was never fully on board with Batman Begins. I always thought it was only okay. <laughs> so when I went and saw this movie and it blew my my mind off, I was like, yes, just like injected into my veins. So I, I saw that movie like from first day opening midnight to like second run. Like any opportunity to see it with somebody who hasn't yet or whatever, I did uh, over the course of that summer in 2008. However, having, you know, some years behind it or whatever and kind of seeing where he's led, where this film in some ways led him, I do think it has kind of a fourth act. It's a little unnecessary. It's a little longer than it should be. But that's about all I can really say about it. It's pretty much perfect. I I disagree with that. I Okay. I think that this movie, I mean, I love this movie to death. The only thing I will say bad about this movie is that I think it sets some weird precedents that other, especially the DC universe feels they kind of need to keep doing and, and, right. and can't and can't do. Like, again, I think this was kind of a, this movie is catching lightning in a bottle and I don't think it's, exa- it's not. I mean, clearly, it's not something that you can exactly reproduce. It's yeah. it's not science. It's a little bit magic. This is another um, film that had a lot of babies. Um, and there was a moment there with the superhero genre that 
they every I mean specifically they would put dark in the title just to sell it better. Yeah. Um and those are usually the worst movies of their of their ilk. Uh Thor the Dark World. Um <laughs> I uh yeah, I but the thing is it was either people, dark or rising. Or rising, it was yeah. Like, like, that was happening a lot for a while there, too. Um, Star Trek Into Darkness. I mean, it was a thing. But <laughs> the Dark Knight Rises, which we'll get to <laughs> in a minute. Yes. Um, but the but the thing is, when people went to copy this movie, they always copied the wrong parts. Exactly. They didn't they really- the They didn't IMAX. get the chemistry. They didn't get the Michael Mann. They didn't get all that stuff that was happening in this film. The ensemble exactly. quality to it. The- the, the gracefulness of like all these different st- story strands that eventually come together. Um, the, the balancing of real world and comic book, which yeah. not a lot of uh, other people have been able to do. Like, you know, it, it like you said, it feels it's rooted in, in a crime genre, you know, caper flick, but in it also feels very, you know, like we still have the Joker in his Joker makeup. It's, it's yeah. a, very stylized version but it's still joker makeup we still have batman in a fucking bat suit like you know it, and i feel like right and the tech got a lot more um it feel it felt new it didn't feel like you know the the plastic kind of gadgetry in the burton movies or whatever but it mm. also it, it, it and you know it does make some allusions to Maybe it's a little highfalutin or whatever, but it did make some allusion to like NSA spying and things like that. So there is a little bit of like substance here, and it, it you know it basically a movie about duality and and you know this philosophical quandaries about uh, you know chaos versus order and things like that. So this movie does have like bigger ideas in its mind. That's why you know a lot of people were bummed to see it didn't get nominated for best picture. Of course, Heath Ledger ended up winning posthumously for best actor um but who knows if he would have otherwise if he hadn't have died yeah um he certainly deserved it it's a great performance this again i think as far as it's one of the most enigmatic uh and charismatic performances i think in 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 a movie period like it yeah it's one of those ones you know it's it's you just when he's on green you can't look away and even mm. though the rest of the movie is good and works without him you're kind of just waiting for him to show up again it's one of the great like movie villains you know it's travis bickle it's it's kathy bates in misery it's like you know it's it's just it's up there in that echelon it's it's yeah. hannibal lecter totally um okay let's uh move on to the next film which i believe is inception right wah <laughs> yeah i'll uh, let you inception. i'll let you uh open up inception okay uh, well, what is there so, to say yeah i kind of don't know for uh, some people inception this is like the is, definitive nolan film right it, it is uh, between this and dark knight like you know this was this was what this was when nolan became a verb yeah um yeah so Inception, huge blockbuster movie about the this group of thieves are specially trained to plant ideas into your head uh, through this weird sci-fi technology. It's um, a dream heist film. Yeah, it's a dream heist film. And they, I think this is kind of, again, the culmination of a lot of his obsessions. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, of taking you know, a sci-fi premise and grounding it and taking a uh, crime genre and bending it. <laughs> yeah. And, tw- and twisting it. And, and, um, 
And then yeah, all I of mean, the stuff with chronology, because there's these level, these layers of dreams, or these levels of dreams that all are working on uh, different uh, time space or whatever. Like, and then you know he shuffles between them, and the editing has to like align it. This is one of his first films. When people say puzzle box filmmaking, I, all of his films do it to a certain extent. This one really does it. This is when he leans into that hard. Yeah, and I think that this one is. <sighs> One of those movies where it works more than it doesn't. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, I think kind of after this, I we start to see it decline into it not working a little bit more than it does. I He starts to meet critical mass at a point, and this is right on the edge of it. Yeah, I, I mean, kind of for me, this is like, I think this is probably the last, not to give too much away, but the last movie of his that I loved. Mm -hmm. um, uh uh, and and you can if you're really watching his whole career, you can start to see the bad habits forming. Uh -huh. um, this one, you know, a little less focused on character, a little more focused on premise, a little more focused on the bigness, construction. Uh, yeah, form. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think the cast is good enough mm -hmm. um, that it can still sell it. Uh, even though you know some of these characters are pretty pretty thin, um, yeah. Uh, but again, to me, it's not a problem yet. It's it's like you can, but you can kind of see after this where his career goes. Like that, I think starts to become more and more of a habit. Um, yeah. So th I, this was the first film where of his where you feel like you have to lean into your seat a little bit, squint your eyes at the screen and really pay attention to every single line. And you have to kind of construct the movie in your head as you're watching it. It feels a little bit like a workout. Yeah. But, now, it's, but in a cool way. Yeah. Like, and and think... there's nothing wrong with a movie being too smart. God knows that isn't what we always get. Um, and, at the, and at this time, he was one of the few directors who could, who could sell a movie based on his name alone and, right. and was doing, you know, still doing original work and, and making it big, you know, a big blockbuster mm -hmm. um, where I was saying the whole one for you, one for them. He started to go, okay, this is for me, but it's also for you. And you're going to come with me, whether you like yeah, it. Yeah. This not. is when he basically could make anything he wanted. Yeah. This is when money and, and any, nothing was, you know, of of demand, like he could, I, he could tell the sun where to to rise and fall, and and also you know this movie is really fucking cool. Like we haven't yeah. talked about that a lot. Like and it also kind of uh in a lot of like you know this you see this uh, a lot of people rip off this almost as much as you used to see people rip off the Matrix. Like <laughs> yeah, and in a big way, this this movie does kind of feel post matrix um and i think in the world of sci-fi like sci-fi action this is like probably the next big pillar after mm. the matrix um visually there's a lot of references to something like that or even dark city a lesser known movie um but it kind of belonged in that world that kind of late 90s like post cyberpunk stuff um yeah. but it updating in this like cool steely nolan universe yeah um, I, yeah. I mean, overall, this movie is rad as hell. And, and you've and already also, seen it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, let's move on. Uh, The Dark Knight Rises. 
um, 2012, I believe, right? This was like one uh-huh. of the first podcasts I recorded. Um, oh, okay. This was a lot of stuff. Yeah, this was when I first started writing for the Idaho State Journal. I remember I went to that all-day thing where you watch all three movies in a row. And it ended oh, with a midnight premiere of this. I feel like... And then I had to, like, write the thing oh, right man. after it. Like, I went home and at three in the morning wrote this and sent it in. Um, I, I feel like that would make me a little sick. Like I think I was. And then remember, like, the, this was, like, when the Aurora shooting happened. So I'm reading yeah. about that online as I'm trying to write the review. It was a whole thing. Yeah, I mean, in this movie, it you know, I think it always kind of had a weird shadow cast over it because of that like it sure especially during its theatrical run it was really hard i think for people to get that out of their heads it was for me anyway um Um, yeah for me there was a big shadow cast upon it because it was really fucking disappointing um i the first like (laughs) stumble yeah i think for nolan this is like this movie is it's over it's everything wrong with a christopher nolan movie it's yeah too big it's too it moves too much you don't really have a foothold on any of the characters uh stuff just kind of happens mm-hmm. um there's a lot of weird plot holes and a lot of weird logic in this movie that the characters and their motivations seem totally d- determined by the way the script is constructed rather than the other way around um and, you know, which, like, coming off of The Dark Knight, which is what a lot of people thought, including us, that was basically a perfect film, and how streamlined and cool and everything that movie was, this movie felt even clunkier than Batman Begins, but for totally different reasons. Yeah, it's it's kind of a big, bloated mess of a movie. This is I, also when Christopher Nolan was trying really, really hard to court um, the studio who... Uh, decides who make bond films and i really feel like he was trying to shove a bond movie into a batman movie yeah he really and and it also like there's just a lot of problems with this movie and it's it's also like he's trying to cap off his trilogy by showing an aging batman so he's like throwing stuff uh from batman continuity kind of all over which could work but it it also just doesn't feel that committed or real because yeah you know halfway through the movie he gets a metal knee and all of a sudden those problems aren't really problems anymore and it's just that's kind of how this movie is it's yeah. like you think you're getting one thing and then it shifts to another thing and it shifts to another thing so quickly that like and it just it just doesn't work like that's the thing it doesn't yeah. hold together in in a way and there's I don't some think great was- sequences or some really really impressive set pieces um, you know, some fight scenes that are very, very cool, but I feel like it's just a collection of those things. Yes, exactly. It doesn't work as a whole. And, you know, after the initial disappointment, I've sort of come to terms with this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, after seeing it a few times, I still don't love it, you know, but like I can watch it on a Sunday afternoon if it's on TV kind of thing. But it's it's definitely not something that like I'm going to get too invested in and usually when i'm watching it i just wish i was watching the dark knight right exactly and i'm i'm so overly conscious of what he's trying to do with the story that or what he's trying to do with style that it interferes too much with me to get into as a story 
And this would become a reoccurring issue, I think, for this latter half of his career, uh, including yeah. his next film, uh, Interstellar, which, funnily enough, this was this is another one that came up in, um, a few times when I asked people what their favorites were. And this movie has its fan base. Like, there are Interstellar stands. Yeah. Um, I think it's a little messy, and I think it builds up. You know, this is sort of a his. He's throwing his hat in the ring of like a a 2001 Space Odyssey or a Solaris or one of these kind of high minded space thrillers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, kind of like high science fiction, Arthur C. Clarke style. Um, And he's trying to wrap his head around these big ideas of like space time. and, And this, of course, plays into his puzzle box obsessions. And there are some really cool ideas in this movie. Like, yeah. I don't think it's thing- as bad as Dark Knight Rises. I think it is a more solid piece than that. There's just a point in the film where things get real silly. That's not even And my throws me problem. off a little bit. That's not even my problem with this movie. My problem with this movie is it's almost three goddamn hours long. It's and very it long. it doesn't need to be. <laughs> and that's something like just scrolling through his IMDb. Uh yeah. The last movie he had under two hours was Insomnia. And it's an hour <laughs> fifty-eight. Like uh yeah. so you know, like you know, the other ones are all like two twenty, two ten, two. He's been two and suffering from epicitis for a while. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think that is this movie's problem to the core. Like there's some really good ideas. Mm-hmm. There's some really good moments. I love the but, sci-fi world it builds, like the, the the vision of the near future and, you know, like the, the Earth is ravaged by climate change and all of these there's things. There's this really weird thing that has stuck with me with this movie. Um, and I haven't seen this movie since I thought, saw it in theaters. Same. So I, I probably could use a rewatch of it. For sure. Um, but there's this, like, earworm in my brain of John Lithgow when he's like, talking to matthew mcconaughey about what the past was like and just like and he's like it was like christmas every day there's new technology he's like talking about iphones and stuff and like for some reason that really haunted me like Uh that stuck in my brain is this like weird john lithgow monologue and that's like 20 minutes into the movie and then i don't remember much after that (laughs) uh you know i remember like space stuff but that, and I think that's kind of the problem with this movie is like there's just so much of it. There's mm. so much movie that I think could have cut it down to kind of make it a little more streamlined, a little bit more of a of a character piece. Like I, you know, it's I think- trying. I will say that this was because at this point, Christopher Christopher Nolan was really running into the criticism of really interesting director, really great. A uh, really great filmmaker, not a great storyteller, and he mm-hmm. sometimes is his movies come off a little cold, um, and he doesn't have a lot of strong female characters. These are like things that people were saying, and I think that this was his attempt to sort of address all of those things. I really think he is trying to do emotional storytelling here, um, because it's a largely yeah, a father daughter story for the most of the movie. It just true, doesn't but- totally work for me, but it does for some people. Yeah, no, I I agree. I agree with all that. Like, it's... And here's the thing. I don't hate this movie. I just... uh, It's just kind of so overwhelming that, like... Yeah. I, I just don't really think of it or even really want to revisit it. That, like, I don't know. I, right. It's another one that feels like work. Like, if I if I think about rewatching it, and I, I've thought about it, 
Um, I'm like, ugh, well, you know, I feel like I have to like block a whole day off for that. Holy shit, Matt Damon was in this? Oh yeah, you don't remember the Matt Damon sequence. I, maybe I'm confusing it with The Martian, I don't know. <laughs> was Matt Damon in Ad Astra? No, that was, uh, that was the other Ocean's Eleven guy, that was Brad Pitt. That's too Um, <laughs> more Matt Damon in space. Yeah. Um, no, I... I also think this movie thinks it's a little smarter than it is. Yeah, and this is the first one where I really go. That's what I meant by silly, is when it comes to the end and the wormholes and the time paradoxes and all that stuff, and I see what it was all leading up to, I go, okay. Like, in some yeah, of the way it, that that's visualized just feels a little hokey to me. My problem wasn't that. My problem was it was just like, oh, all right. Like, it, it felt like it was going back to his sort of yeah. – uh, it felt like it was revealed like a twist, but to me, it never felt like that kind of a, a twist. Like, it was just like, oh, okay, like, this is weird, but it's not... Right. It's not a twist. I don't know. Uh, it, this movie just left me feeling a little befuddled. Um, I thought it was... It's visually very striking. There's some gorgeous yeah. cinematography. Um, but overall, it just left me a little... Felt like I was floating out in space a little bit. All right. Um, Dunkirk. This was his big war epic. Um, and this was one that a lot of people responded to in a big way. And this one got the critics back on his side in a way that um, his hey, previous films hadn't. This is the the first one under two hours in... Maybe that, that helped. 17 years. <laughs> yeah. Um, personally... I liked it a whole lot. Uh, I, I Let me rephrase that. I admired it a lot. And I think that the set pieces are great. And I think that there's... Uh, I see what people see in it. Um, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it. I just, for some reason, cannot get all the way involved with it. Um, this is probably my least favorite Nolan movie. Really? I, yeah, I just... I don't know. I, it, it just felt like... It doesn't feel messy to me. It doesn't feel like there's any missteps. I would say the biggest problem with it is there, it's a little short on character. Um, there's a lot of characters in the film, but I they don't... I mean, they're always, you know, running away from something that's exploding, so I don't really get to know them a whole lot. It's also just like, I think this is a movie that kind of died in the editing room for me. Uh, the way, so it's cut together in these three different times. So, uh, this is a, if you haven't seen it, which again, anything post Dark Knight, I'm sure you've seen. Right. Um, but it, it's telling of this one battle or whatever, but all with. From three, different perspectives. Three different timelines. Yeah. And. And this is his way of doing the thing he likes to do. Um, I don't actually I think just, that's the thing I the movie that, doesn't need to do. Exactly. I think that kind of gets in the movie's way, yeah. in my opinion. Like, uh, because it's never clear that it's these three different timelines. It's never, it's just like, sort of, ex you're just sort of expected to know that. You pick it and, up eventually, but there is some, yeah. there is some like, uh, you know, acclimating to the style, which you have to do in a lot of Nolan films, but. I don't, I don't know. This one just, to me. I, I didn't really care for it. It just kind of felt like big action movie, war movie thing that I, I don't know. I just, I don't care for Dunkirk. It just doesn't. Yeah, I don't, I don't, again, I don't dislike it. I think it's very well made. Um, it has some fantastic scenes in it. 
for me, it's just very short and light on character. And this is the type of film where I think you need that more. In fact, 1917, a movie we reviewed last year, which kind of has a similar vibe. I think that sort of pulls this off better because at least we're I, I agree. we're sticking with the same characters the whole time, so we can build an emotional attachment to with them as the story goes. Whereas this one, we're shifting from things so much that I never really attached to any of them. Also, exactly. I think it, I, it might be a thing. We're not English. We don't know a lot about this battle. It doesn't mean really much to us. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's not the Revolutionary War. It's not the Civil War. I don't think that necessarily matters. Like I'm not, It shouldn't matter. Yeah, like of 1917 I didn't feel like super emotionally connected to, but I I yeah. I was able to get there through the characters and through the story where and I'm also just not a huge fan of war movies like uh, you know, like but uh, yeah. but whatever. I like, can I just, be, it depends. Like I there are some war movies that I think are great and are some of the best films ever made. Um but it's not my go-to genre by any means. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I think this movie feels, to me, more than any other Nolan movie. Like, it's getting in its own way. Funnily enough for me, I feel like this is him sort of recalibrating, but I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a big problem for me. It's like, it doesn't feel overly complicated. I'm not like you know, leaning in my seat, squinting, going, what did he just say? Like, there's never any moments like that. Um, I'm just like, okay, we're in an airplane with, with, uh, uh, Tom Hardy. Tom, we're in an airplane with Tom Hardy now. Okay. We now we're on a beach with this other guy. Um, and you know, I mean, there's very little dialogue, you know, it almost could be a silent film, which in a way I sort of admire. There's a lot about it. I admire the filmmaking a lot. The storytelling, yes. not as much. Um, I, yeah, I agree. I agree yeah. with you there. It just, I don't know. This one just didn't really do much for me. Yeah. Uh, I, I, fe- I fell similarly to this that I did when I watched Insomnia. I was like, all right, sure. So yeah, I, I would I, like any given day of the week watch Insomnia over this. Because no, at least I, there, I'm like, oh, we're going to get some characters, we're going to get some good dialogue, we're going to get some intrigue, and it's I all boilerplate, but at least, like, I have what like, I mean something by to that tether me. Is, what I mean by that is, it it does a lot of stuff that I like, but it's not as exciting to me as a lot of Nolan's other work. Sure. Like, it just, yeah. it's like, okay, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a weird film, because in a way, it feels very, very personal, because it is English and it is like a historical thing. It's not super genre-y. I mean, it's a war film, but it's not like, you know, a sci-fi, you know, crazy deal. Um, it's not Batman. Uh, it almost kind of feels a little bit more prestige, but I it kind of misses me altogether. Yeah, yeah me too. Um, and maybe it's just because, you know, we'd like it a lot more if it was a uh, time travel epic. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we'll find out because when we talk movie. about the next film. Yes. Let's go ahead and get into our official review of Tenant, the newest film by Christopher Nolan. It came out this summer. Uh, did you Have you seen it since? You're going on yeah, like three months of, of memory. Trust me. Uh, and with this movie, that's not the easiest thing to do. No, I'm going on 48 hours. And I'm like... I actually think that struggling. I've had a little more time to process it than you have. So I, maybe I have a little bit of an advantage. Maybe you've here. watched the ending explained videos and stuff like that already. Um, I actually I actually haven't. Uh, uh, in my opinion, the ending isn't that hard to figure out. But 
I yeah, let's just get into it. Okay. Do you want to set this up? I can. Yeah. So this or, is Or do you want me to? It's it's a weird movie to set up. Uh, it is. I, I can I can do it. It I I feel comfortable enough. Let me pull it up first, but Okay. Um so Tenet stars uh, da- uh John David Washington as the protagonist. He literally doesn't have his name. He's known as protagonist. Um he is in some sort of time um paradox heist of which he's been recruited and um, has very limited knowledge of what he's stealing, who he's stealing it from, and what he's stealing it for. He sort of pieces together the knowledge as he goes because the organization that's hired him has feels that the more knowledge he has, the more he could end up compromising the mission because we're dealing with time paradoxes. Um, so he has to do something sort of blindfolded, uh, not literally, but figuratively. While doing this deal where he's trying to sort of piece together this this mystery involving, you know, stolen art and uh uh plutonium and and um these bracelets that that they wear that they can like see time literally go backwards and utilize it like a weapon. Um he runs into Robert Pattinson named Neil who seems to know a little bit more about what's going on. Um and uh, that leads him into a situation involving Elizabeth uh, Debicki, uh, uh, named Catherine, who is married to a Russian oligarch played by Kenneth Branagh, chewing up the scenery. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it's kind of a, a situation involving all these characters and these backwards and forwards uh, timelines and how the characters interact with these timelines as they're trying to, uh, you know, put together this mystery and quote unquote, save the world. Um, there's sort of a doomsday clock and, and that kind of stuff too. This is, this is sort of a cyberpunk movie to a certain extent. Um, this is sort of a, a time travel thriller. Like we've seen in, it's kind of funny. Cause in like all of Nolan's like, you know, high minded, stuff you can always find like the b movie equivalent like mm-hmm. you know with inception you can talk about dreamscape um and memento there's clean slate with memento there's clean slate this movie i didn't even know existed until you brought it up i mean it's been a long time since you've seen it i've just seen it i think i'm feeling mixed about it but i do think they're like you can expect in any christopher nolan film there's a lot of virtuoso filmmaking. There's a lot of uh, very impressive editing. There's actually some pretty decent performances sprinkled throughout here. Yeah. Now, they're kind of constipated by the constant go, go, go pacing of the film. But within that, I think that these actors, you know, Robert Pattinson, uh, Aaron Johnson has a very memorable but small character in the film. And, uh, oh, yeah, I uh, forgot that was Aaron Johnson. I didn't, I couldn't tell till the very end of the movie. That dude looks like a different dude every movie you see him. Yeah, he, he it, totally. <laughs> um, like I said, Kenneth Branagh, like, steals the whole show as far as I'm concerned. Uh, he's, he's doing kind of a, a squirrel and moose kind of accent in the movie, but it's very, very fun. 
Oh, he's so good. I I also love John David Washington. I think. Um, See, that's I, where I, I kind of have some issues. I think uh, Elizabeth Debicki is really, really good, and I think one of his to date, one of his strongest uh, female characters. I yeah, I agree with. Um, that. and no, actually, I, I, I think like, it might come more from her performance than what's on the page, but she she does a lot for the film. I think. Um, I I just I really like John David Washington as an actor. I think he is. I think he's. He kind of like Denzel. I think he can. He skates by on charisma a lot, um, but I think he can pull it off. So my my feeling about this movie is this is the this is the James Bond movie that Christopher Nolan always wanted to make but couldn't, and so he made it but added a sci fi thing because he's Christopher Nolan. Well, he's been making that movie for a while. I know, but it, to me, this feels the most Bond. Out of all the Bond movies that he's half made, this is the most Bond to me. And yeah, you know, and so or Mission I think, Impossible. Yeah, through a lot of the film, I was calling it Mission Incomprehensible. Yeah, that's cute. I I agree with you. My I now that I'm a little distance from it, and I was a little befuddled when I first saw it. Uh huh. And there are some. Uh, logistic practical reasons like the fact that the fucking audio mixing is one of the worst i've ever heard in a movie right there were a lot of complaints Uh, about that when the movie first came out that nobody could understand the dialogue because the the uh the background audio and the score was drowning everybody out luckily i watched it on tv so i had the subs on that's i think you kind of need that with this i was so frustrated with having whole scenes where there was conversations that I couldn't hear due to blowing. Right. Um, so I, I think this is both Christopher Nolan at his best and Christopher Nolan at his worst. Um, I think he, the story kind of gets in its own fucking way so much, uh, but he can sell it because he, there are also some incredible sequences that mm-hmm. like, um, there's one sequence in particular that uh, is kind of at the end of the the second act, um, sort of a, a first climax of this movie. Yeah, that is absolutely jaw dropping. I thought it was incredible, even though I kind of knew it was coming. I thought I was like, "Oh, okay, this is what we're fucking here for." Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it annoys me to no end that John David Washington doesn't even have a name that his that. His name is literally protagonist. I was like, oh, okay. He probably typed that into the script and never <laughs> fucking came up with a name. So it's just like, oh, it's fine. It's He's just protagonist. Like, that Uh-oh. is very pretentious. It's meta me. or something. <laughs> I think it I think it was lazy that he tried to make meta, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, And that's just kind of how I feel this whole movie goes. It's like... You're mixed with some of the most frustrating aspects of of Nolan uh, with this sort of cold puzzle blocks storytelling, but also some of the best of Nolan with these incredible action sequences and some of his, um, you know, I think, uh, yeah, Robert Pattinson's one of his most charming characters. Mm-hmm. Uh, Elizabeth Debicki is churning out a hell of a performance and yeah. the villain is incredibly fun. Like, I, yeah. I think... It's all of that, and and it's okay for it to be all of that, because that's just kind of what it is. I think it is such a mixed bag of a movie uh, that I, I, d- I do want to see it again, because I think knowing what it is, I'll enjoy it more. I, I think it kind of has some problems with 
uh, similar problems that Interstellar has, where it's like not as smart as it thinks it is. Yes and no. I would actually, to me, this feels very much like Inception on steroids. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is kind of returning to that sort of thing, and it's very like pocket watch constructed in the same way that that film is, where it's gears within gears. And it's everything is so meticulously designed that the design almost squeezes out the story. Um, yeah. And that that's not necessarily a problem because I, I do think that the characters, as thin as they are on the page, do come through the performances. For me, with the exception of Washington, who, while he's not bad, he's, he's, he's holding it down. I, I think it's perfectly fitting that he doesn't have a name because he feels pretty generic. You could probably put in just about anybody in that role, and it would fill fill the role the same way. I don't think he's bringing anything to that that nobody else could. No, um, I, I agree with. I you even there. think I just, Denzel in that role would have made the movie significantly better. I I agree with you that I think you could have kind of put anybody in it. I just I think really Kevin Hart in that role would have made the movie significantly better. It would have made a a very different movie. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I I. There's I one just, scene in the movie uh, um, that where things kind of slow down, and yeah, uh, yeah. and and he's being introduced to Kenneth Branagh for the first time by his wife in this like very warmly candlelit dinner, and Kenneth Branagh goes on to uh, threaten him in the the most gruesome fashion, and I was made aware of how thirsty I was for a moment like this in this film. Because it's the first time we tap the brakes a little bit on the pacing. It's the first time anything slows down. Yeah. And, and after that, there's a few more moments like that. that yeah. For that, me, the movie lives and dies on the second half. And the movie's sort of bifurcated in such a way. And I don't want to, like, give it away exactly, like, how this thing is constructed. Well, but for me, it's sort of yeah. a chore. It's a little bit of a hard work movie because for the first half of it – you don't know what's going on, and you're not allowed to know what's going on. Exactly, uh, and, yeah. And it that's a like, long time, like an hour plus, where you're just where you're just giving your faith into the director that you're going to know what's going on. And then by the second half of the film, I think that all pays off in an interesting way. I'm not going to pretend totally. like I totally understand the sci-fi rules here and the time travel rules. Like, there's a lot of kooky stuff. Um, yeah, and I don't think all of it makes sense. I don't know. A lot all. of it. I mean, there's even that one point when, uh, when, uh, the stand in Q character is, um, explaining this to Washington at the beginning of the film. And she's like, just, just don't, don't worry. Just don't think about it. <laughs> and exactly. that's no one pretty much telling us the same thing. And I think that's the best way to go into this movie. If you're yeah. just like, if you're just going with it for the, the blockbuster ride that yeah. uh, Christopher Nolan can be at his best. You're going to get that. Um, but when the know, pieces start, when the pieces start falling into place by the second half of the movie and you see why we were seeing stuff the way we were seeing it in the first half of the film, then I was actually like, oh, okay, this is actually a cool sci-fi ride. Um, and I, yeah. I ended up coming away with it a lot more positively than I started out with. Cause if I had been as like, iced out as I was in the first half, I would have probably not given this much of a positive review at all. But I think the way that it's constructed, if you're in, if, if you can manage to hold on, you know, untethered for as long as it keeps you that way, 
until things start to make sense, I think it pays off. But that is the the uh, the uh, the challenge of the film. Yeah, I I agree with you completely, and I think I don't think that's necessarily a good thing. Um, but it, again, it just it feels like a very Nolan thing, right? At um, this point, I feel like, especially you know, we've talked about all of his work and stuff. Um, at this point, I think we have to just resign that this is who he is. This is the filmmaker oh, yeah. he is, and he's not. He's never going to make another Prestige or, or or even another Insomnia or even another Memento, even though those movies have these, you know, the DNA of what he would later be. Like, I don't think he's ever, I don't, I just don't, I think clearly he's not that interested in character. He's not that interested in story. Yeah. And, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing because, uh, when th- this kind of thing, he can do really well, you know, yeah. like I said, this this to me ha- feels so much more like a Bond movie than anything he's ever done, and and yes, you can tell he's always wanted to make a Bond movie, but yeah. this was like the fuck it, I'm just gonna make it. This is instead, what I would make if they'd let me. Yeah, yeah, and, and you know, there's not even any reason the Bond couldn't work with this weird time travel. Oh, sure, he's been in space, he's done everything else. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so it just it this felt like the script he had lying around. He's like. Fuck it, I'll call it Tenet. He's no longer James Bond, he's protagonist. <laughs> and I think that's why, that's why John David Washington is who he is, because he's, he, uh, I, I, I agree with you to an extent that I think most, I think anyone could have filled the role and you wouldn't have noticed, but I do think John David Washington brings a certain charisma, he brings a certain level of unspeakable cool that a character like James Bond has. Like, a character like James Bond can be paper thin and sometimes is. Yeah. And if the actor is char- is charismatic enough to sell it, it'll still work enough. See, I, and think, I think if the first, I mean, it's already a pretty long movie. It's two and a half hours, um, which is shorter than some. But uh, <laughs> I think if we had just had, you know, there's a, you know, that moment in the beginning of, of Men in Black where Will Smith is chasing the guy and then he realizes it's an alien and has to hang out with Tommy Lee Jones for a little bit and Tommy Lee Jones is like I'm going to induct you into the Men in Black boom now you're in a crazy world we don't really have that part of the movie so I think that's a very just, specific choice though I th- I think I think it is cuz this this character sort of shrouded in mystery for reasons but I would have just liked to get even just like a flashback or just something to say this is who this guy is. No, I I agree with you. I I I'm not disagreeing with you. I just I still really liked John David Washington because mm-hmm. I think he's a cool actor. Well, and everyone else, I mean, he's pretty much a straight man, and everybody yeah. else around him gets to be a much more vibrant, colorful character. Exactly. I mean, and and I think he's he serves that purpose well enough. Mm-hmm. Um, but. But yeah, I I don't know. I think I mean I don't think this is my favorite Nolan movie um, because you know the Dark Knight and Inception exist. Yeah. Um, but I it was fun to see him go back to this kind of uh, you know a genre sci-fi thing. Uh, you know, I'm gonna do a crime movie with that's a palindrome. Like right. Uh, I I, yeah. I think the the concept is interesting, and I kind of. I kind of figured that's what this was going to be going into it. Mm-hmm. So maybe 
But it's it's a dense movie. It is a hard to figure out movie. But I think it's the kind of Nolan movie that like I'll want to rewatch because it has the cool moments are cool enough, you know, that I'm like, right. yeah, I want to see the backwards car chase. But it also uh, doesn't feel like, like in some of those other uh, lesser Nolan films, it doesn't feel like just a handful of competent set pieces with nothing connecting them. I actually feel, a you know, a purposeful construction to everything. Yes. And it feels like, a, it feels like, like I said, sort of a pocket watch style film in the same way that Inception did, or and even to some extent all the way back to Memento, where you're you're not supposed to know everything all the uh until you are. Um Yeah. But so in a way I think it's a more of a rewarding film experience with a beginning with a you know a competent beginning, middle and end. Uh so I actually like it more than some of the later work. I think this no, I, for me I, this is I agree probably like, his best movie since Inception. Although I think this is it does suffer bit, from epicitis and you know other things. I agree with you. Like this is sort of a return to what I love about Nolan. Yeah. When I say it's him and his worst, I'm talking about the first half where it, it does feel so dense and so puzzle boxy that like yeah. you're left out in the fucking cold and there is nothing to really tether you. You right. just are sort of in the movie long enough that you kind of have to resign yourself to it. That's what I'm talking about when it's him at his worst. But the movie as a whole, I th- I think is, uh, like I said, it's also him at his best. It is genre storytelling, his, uh, you know, action set pieces. And I do think overall it does connect, like, like you're saying, mm-hmm. more than it doesn't. Yeah. Well... Uh, Let's, uh, this, much like a Christopher Nolan movie, this <laughs> episode has already gone on a half hour too long. Uh, so give me kind of your final thoughts on Tenet and give me your letter grade. I recommend it. I think if you're into Christopher Nolan, there's no reason you won't like this film. I do think it's better than he's been in a while. Um, there's part of me that's always going to yearn for what could have been had if, you know, the Dark Knight had never been the huge smash success it ended up being, um, and he had kind of become more of an indie guy. There's a little bit of me that kind of knows that we'll just never see that guy. But with that said, I think this is very competently made, most of the time interesting, sometimes so dense that it's a little frustrating, but um, worth it overall. I give it a B. Uh, oh, okay. B. Um, yeah, I... I- I think I agree with everything you just said. Um, I think when I first saw it, I was a little more iced out than you. Mm-hmm. And, and over time, I've, I think, sort of liked it a little more. But I also, I do have a weird nostalgia because it's like one of the only movies I've seen in theaters this year. Yeah. So, you know, that was very exciting. And, and I'm glad it was a movie that, I mean, this is a kind of movie that deserves to be viewed on a big screen. Like, for sure, I am sad that a lot of people didn't get the intended experience because right. I, I do think that was, you know, it felt like, oh, cool, I'm seeing a big fucking Nolan movie in theaters. Like, most people didn't get that this year. Um, uh, and who knows when we'll get that again? But, um, but yeah. So when I first saw it, I still felt a little cold and iced out by it. But I think I've warmed to it a little. I think when I first saw it, I probably would have given it a C plus. Mm. 
Um, but now I think I'm more around the B territory, like like you said. Yeah, I don't know. I this is it's it's an interesting movie. Um, yeah, but it is a, a very all I will all I can really say about it is. is it is a very Christopher Nolan movie. Oh, for sure. Almost to the point of parody. But I think it, it, he feels very comfortable in his own thing. Like, yeah. it, I, I, I never felt at any point, oh, you're trying a thing and it's not working. I always just felt like, yes. oh, you're doing the thing you do. And at, by the time I got to the end, I was like, and it worked. But it took me about that long. Um, yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that's I think that's why I felt a little frustrated when i first saw it but yeah. i definitely want to see it again um, i do too and i'd be willing to see it in a theater i have a feeling like when when and if the world ever returns to any semblance of normal um they're gonna want to put it back in theaters again nolan especially but just so that yeah. people can see it the way it was meant to be seen I just even if he ends up losing money uh in the process i feel like a lot of movies that came out in this period are gonna have a small theater release and i would like to see it that way at some point yeah i would just say i hope that they get the fucking sound mixing fixed because that was very frustrating well right and watching it on tv with headphones with the subtitles i did not have that problem but i remember the articles it was a it was a big issue like there's a scene where they're on the boat um yeah so there's this kind of long scene where there's kind of a lot of like exposition and dialogue between um protagonist and <laughs> kenneth brana yeah uh yeah exactly um <laughs> and i basically missed that whole scene like yeah I that would be rough use that as a bath and there's a lot of exp- expository dialogue in this film and that's I, that is something is probably knocking it i mean it, you kind of have to because it's go 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 the whole time so whatever we do get dialogue very little of it is character oriented. It's a lot of info dumping. And, and and I think that also could have been why when I first saw it, I, I you know, I felt a little, yeah, a little cold, but you know, there's one specific reveal that has to do with Kenneth Brown's character. That is very important to the overall plot that I was a little frustrated and annoyed that it came out in an info dump rather than exploring that in a character way. But overall you'll enjoy it. I think it's a good film. Um, and it's, I, I do think it is better than the last three or four that he's made. Yeah. Marginally. Yeah, like I said, I think, I think Dunkirk and Interstellar and, and Dark Knight Rises are for me, a low streak of his. And it was yeah. fun to see him just kind of like go back to form. Yeah. Alrighty. Let's go ahead and give a few minutes to Bad Mom's Christmas. I'll let you set that up. So this is a sequel to Bad Mom's, the, uh, the holiday special and the bad moms averse. <laughs> um, so there's these three, uh, three kind of younger moms uh, who are struggling with um, the idea of making their own Christmases versus uh, sort of the traditional Christmas that they grew up with. Um, and then that, gets immediately challenged as all of their mothers happen to come to town to visit for the holiday. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the three main uh, characters, uh, Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell and Catherine Hahn. Um, and then their mothers come in as uh, Christine Baranski playing 
Mila Kunis is mom. Uh, Susan Sarandon is um, some stunt casting mom uh, <laughs> for Catherine Hahn. Yeah. And uh, Cheryl Hines as Kristen Bell's mom. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it's just, you know, kind of a raunchy, but not too raunchy uh, uh, comedy, you know, like adult comedy, but from the perspectives of, of three female characters versus, you know, normally this is kind of a, feels like kind of a dude movie, but for girls. Right. So Bad Moms was one of four, I swear, movies that were exactly the same that came out that year. Um, there was Girls Night Out, there's Bad Moms, and then there was another one, uh, I forget exactly what it was called, but there were, there were a few that came out, they were all kind of the same thing, and mm-hmm. I did not see Bad Moms, did you see the original Bad Moms? I didn't see the, the original Bad Moms, yeah. I, I, so that so was I can't kinda... speak to that, as far as whether this is better or worse, and I've not seen those other ladies behaving badly movies, either. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I mean, so basically my takeaway from this was, um, I don't know, I thought it was fun. I think it it's, uh, uh, it's refreshing in that it is three women and they kind of get to do that thing, um, which, you know, men have been doing since the National Lampoon's movies. Sure. Uh, and I mean, like, going all the way back to Animal House, um... I don't know. I thought it was. I thought it was fun. Uh, harmless little movie. Um, I mean, I didn't. I wasn't like blown away by it, but I was like, yeah, this is funnier than I expected it to be. Hmm. Okay. I uh, I didn't like it. Um. I didn't. You well. We no. You hate Christmas. I'm <laughs> not the Christmas movies are not my thing per se, and you know th- these kinds of comedies are usually not my thing either. Uh. But I will say of this, I don't know if I would like or dislike Bad Moms 1 more or less, because in this, I feel like the mom cast, the mothers of the moms, the mm-hmm. the G-moms, rather, yeah. um, is uh, the more interesting of the six. Uh, Christine Bransky, I love in everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan Sarandon, effortlessly, you know, she's just Susan Sarandon. She's just walking in. Um, straight off of Banger Sisters doing that and doing it well. And Cheryl Hines is probably the least impressive of the, of the, that cohort, but she at least understands this style of broad comedy in a way, all three of them do, I think in a way that the, mm, like 30 year old moms don't as much, with the exception of Catherine Hahn, who honestly, by the middle of the movie, I just wanted the movie to be about. Catherine Hahn, Susan Sarandon, and the male stripper. I don't give a fuck about anything else happening in this movie. I just want that movie. Uh, I kind of agree with you. Um, I mean, okay. I, I definitely agree with you in that I love Catherine Hahn. She is a treasure. Yeah. She gets to be sort of the John Belushi, like, wild. Brassy. Uh, yeah. She, inappropriate yeah. one. She's also the only one that I think, like... Like, I get the, the like, ladies behaving badly thing from her. And that's the way she's written, obviously. Well, but, yeah, like, so, like, what's the big deal? Mila Kunis is just so a uptight was, white lady. Like, it's it could be any... I think she's Greek? Anyway. Well, uh-huh. she's Russian IRL. But, um... Yeah, but, but she, the role Grant she's playing, Russian. like, her and... Yeah, her and Kristen Bell are just doing the uptight white lady thing. I don't find that funny. 
So, uh, I oh, okay, a couple things about this. I, I do agree with you. One of the, the thing that frustrated me the most with it was it's called Bad Moms, but I didn't think any of the moms were that bad. No, there's like one the, scene where they have shots the mall and they're they're playing like rock music in the background to, to like tell you like, oh, they're getting crazy. And it like literally leads to nothing. <laughs> like there's, yeah. it doesn't it's, mean it's anything. It's pretty harmless yeah. uh, fun. Uh, but no, I agree. I I think there was a uh, there's enough. Again, okay. So a little context. Also, I did watch twenty five fucking Christmas <laughs> movies this year. You were doing a challenge, um, yes. And this was, I think, the only one I hadn't seen before. Mm-hmm. So t- I found it, uh, you know, kind of refreshing that it was like, oh, this is new, and it's not necessarily hitting every Christmas trope. Um, it hits a lot of them, but. Uh, I also really liked the grandmas. I also l- really liked Catherine Hahn. Um, I do kind of like the this type of just sort of hangout dude bro movie, but I liked that it was gender swapped. I think there's uh, some pretty funny stuff with the way that men are objectified. Uh, the uh, stripper from This Is Us guy. Yeah, he's great in the movie. Uh, like I, I said, love that movie I one- want. The rest of it can can kick rocks. One of my favorite things that I don't know if it was an intentional joke, but I think it was, was uh, um, Mila Kunis's dad, played by Peter Gallagher, uh, has like no He's wallpaper through most of the movie. Yeah. But he has these really funny facial expressions. He's doing a Peter Gallagher eyebrow performance. Yes, yes. but to me it works because they cast it the way most moms are cast in this type of Christmas movie. It's yeah. just like kind of there to make faces and look shocked. So it's I, like, I thought that uh, was... Tim Heidecker's performance in Bridesmaids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so there, <laughs> I think there's some fun subversion there. And I get why, I get why especially women are drawn to something like this, is it's like it's not overly saccharine. Um, I mean, there's, there's, that's there. You know, it's still a fucking Christmas movie, but I didn't feel like a tooth was going to rot out. You know what I mean? Like it, there was enough sort of them having fun and adult humor that I still enjoyed it. I just wish if it was going to be bad that they had gone into that more, like be worse, like really like fuck some shit up. Like if you're trying to be subversive, subvert something. Don't just like give the veneer of, of, uh, you know, every once in a while throwing in an F word or showing them drinking, like that's even a thing. Um, I, I, I do agree with you there. And I do think the name, the name of the movie is it's doesn't fit the movie and it's there solely to, as a marketing thing. Right. And maybe the original bad moms did go there more and was more raunchy and they kind of shaved off some of those edges for the Christmas thing. So while I, I was know. watching it, we were like, Oh, the grandmas, they're the bad moms. Well, they are. Because they were all bad moms. <laughs> yeah. Well, anyway. And they're much more fun and interesting to watch because they're seasoned comedic actresses. I mean, come on. Uh, Catherine Catherine Hahn, Hahn is, is great. She is great. And Mila Kunis has been She's in carrying com- the goddamn movie comedic roles since she was 16. Kristen Bell. Like, they're all vets. <sighs> Uh, okay, I think you're being. A I was stocky. never a that '70s show guy. Um, 
But and she has I, been doing it since she was 16 years I'm old. I'm not like, even like against Mila Kunis. She's great in Black Swan. We'll like to see her do more stuff like that. Um, anyways, this is this movie's whatever, and you're not going to watch it because Christmas already happened. Exactly. It's it's fine, and <laughs> honestly, I, it was it was fun enough that I I'm considering uh, making us watch Bad Moms at some point. Oh Jesus! Yeah, it might. Ha- I liked it. I thought it was funny. <laughs> Fuck you. If anybody has anything to say about any of the movies we talked about on this episode, what is your Christopher Nolan rankings? You know what? Actually, just out of pure curiosity, what was your ranking? Uh, oh, okay. It was actually a little different. Than I'm going to swap this now that we kind of talked it out. Um, I'll say Dunkirk, uh, The Dark Knight Rises. You're starting from the bottom. Yeah. Uh, so bottom is Dunkirk, then The Dark Knight Rises, uh, Interstellar, The Following, uh, Insomnia, Tenet, Batman Begins, The Prestige, Memento, Inception, and The Dark Knight. That's pretty close to what I think I would have, except for I'd probably put Tenet above Batman Begins, actually. Uh, I mean, maybe. We'll see. Um, you know, maybe time will be kind to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it, you know, these lists are silly and fluid, so. For sure. But if anybody wants to send us their list, um, uh, we'll read it on air. And if anybody has any thoughts on uh, Bad Mom's Christmas or whatever else, um, you can go ahead and email us at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. You can also- I feel like I should get a new streaming homework because I feel a little cheated out of mine. I, I feel like, <laughs> fuck you. Oh, you know what? We di- I didn't uh, announce the next streaming homework. Um, thank you for reminding me. The next streaming homework we're going to be doing uh, is- Valley Girl, the comedy from the 80s. I think that was like the first big thing Nicolas Cage was in. So we'll be talking about that. And I think it's on Amazon Prime. I might be on other things as well. Check all your services. Uh, But if anyone wants to weigh in on that as well, you can. Um, You can also follow us on Instagram and and Facebook at MacGuffinPod. You can also follow me uh, individually at BC Cassidy. Um, you can follow us on Twitter at uh, MacGuffinPod as well. Um, what else? I write reviews for the Idaho State Journal. You can read them at the IdahoStateJournal.com under their uh, Arts and Entertainment tab. Um, and be sure to read all the other reviews and written articles by the MacGuffin staff at MacGuff.in. Uh, yeah, you can follow me on uh, Instagram at Keith Foster Kid or the Hellscape website that is known as Twitter mm-hmm. at Keith Foster Kid. Um, I also have a, a dedicated art account on um, Instagram at Sticky Note Aesthetic. Yes, and be sure to leave us a star rating and a review over at iTunes or Player.fm or um, Pocket Cast and Stitcher Radio. That is it. <laughs> I forgot to look up a quote, so I'm just leaving you with some Hans Zimmer Some Zimmer Blums. Blums. Blums.